0: Deeve August <laughs> Falk, come with the folklore. Put crele a quid head stuff, fui, fukkel, falkaul. gelga. Fukkel gelga, August fuk the heron, this mission darchushe.
1: August is mission garrard, making fui.
0: Salcha Arash Gargine.
1: Grimagot, yeah, I'm, I'm back. Back in the land of, of...
0: Back from the Finns.
1: Yeah, unfortunately I had to come home. Um, I had a great time, I had a great summer, it was lovely, um, very relaxing. And yeah, eventually had to come back home to, to Ireland, so here I am.
0: How fair is fair Finland? It's f-
1: uh, well, everybody's pretty damn fair. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty mm. fair. Um, you can spot a Finn a mile away because they're just blonde and tall and pale and socially awkward. You can see that coming as well.
0: <laughs> and great crack.
1: Yeah, when they have a few pints in them, they're great crack.
0: <laughs> Good times. And so tell me this: in Finland, they uh, they don't have a unlike other Scandinavian countries, they don't have a king or a queen.
1: No, they were offered one, and they were planning on having one, and it was going to be a German fella. And then the Germans were very naughty boys and started a war. And then they were like, it's bad public relations to get a German. So we'll just go with an old republic.
0: Yeah. What what kind of self-respecting country would, would bring some <laughs> German in to start their <laughs> royal family? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was just really bad timing. They, they, you know, they were like, oh, you know, the Brits did it. It was a really good, you know, we, sh- we should do that. And they had a fella lined up, I believe. And then you know, a war broke out and they were like, maybe not actually, you know, when we will just write this old constitution and stick a president in instead.
0: Hmm. You know, um, Daniel O'Connell was uh, was very nearly the uh, the first king of Belgium. Really? Yes, he was. Uh, it was, it seems funny at the time because we completely associated him with Irish politics, yeah. but at the time, obviously, I mean, um, he would have been the world's most famous Catholic parliamentarian oh, yeah. and he was educated in Belgium, yeah. in Leuven. And he would have had kind of various ties to the continent. He would have obviously been and ensured a relatively strong relationship with Britain and with France yeah. uh, for this fledgling new country. Yeah. So he was on He was on the list. He wasn't the guy who got picked, in no. fact. And he probably wasn't the second on the list either, but <laughs> he was on the list.
1: Isn't that so mad about, like, monarchies are nuts. Aren't they insane? They're just like, oh, we'll just pick this fella to be the And then there's sort of this sort of... Sort of mythology and mysticism around and then they're like oh you know they're divine and stuff they're not really though it's just some fella that was deemed suitable
0: it's the strangest thing because i remember this english fellow saying was was effectively defending the monarchy at the time he was um they, they were over these English lads were over in Ireland, and they they unlike the, them, the <laughs> the news was on the background. And I was, just, he says, "Mate, do you not think it's a bit unusual you have a correspondent for social and religious affairs on your <laughs> news channel?" I was like, "Don't you have a royal correspondent?" <laughs> <laughs> and the, the conversation went on. And he said, "Well, you know, you can say what you like about the monarchy, but you you gotta you gotta admit it works." I was like, um...
1: That's not something I have to admit at I all. I don't
0: have to... I, I, I certainly don't have to admit that. I and, like
1: how that man became Australian mid-sentence as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he did not. He was not Australian. He was never Australian. You cannot fault the mother folklore English accent database.
1: We are stellar, yeah. If there was an Oscar for that, we'd be in the front rowing for it. <laughs> so, all right, oh, I I won't do it again, actually. All right,
0: no, <laughs> Um, you're looking forward to Mary Poppins with Lynn Mowell
1: oh my god I'm so excited <laughs> I saw the trailer today I lost my and he actually has a good um like Englishy accent which I think is untrue to the character of the Jim gym- what is the chimney sweet name Dick Van Dyke Dick- no the, the uh, actual character oh Bert Bert yeah um, who had like the worst English accent of all English accents ever. But it just, it was so good with the character. So I was kind of like a little bit disappointed that he had like a somewhat believable British accent.
0: It's a tricky one when somebody, and, and you think, nobody can fault Dick Van Dyke's talents as a yeah. light entertainer in yeah. terms of singing and dancing and, and committing to a role. And in some ways it's it's frustrating when you can get everything except the accent right. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not sure if enough attention is paid to this. And I was reminded of this recently because I was thinking about bad Irish accents yeah. in film. And years ago, and, and no one ever believes me when I tell this. But I heard this from no less an authority than Paddy O'Shea what? in Paddy O'Shea's bar that Tom Cruise, when Far and Away, doing the research for Far and Away, nailed a Kerry accent, but the studio didn't believe it was a real thing.
1: I would believe that though, because. Like the American assumption of an Irish accent is not an Irish accent. It's what they have from that breakfast cereal, mm-hmm. that awful sugary breakfast cereal, Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms. That's their association with an Irish accent. So they're like, oh, Saoirse Roland doesn't have an Irish accent. Well,
0: Purple Moons. <laughs> and it's like, no one knows what you're talking about. They're talking about Purple <laughs> Moons. But the... Don't
1: take cereal from a leprechaun if he offers it. Don't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't know where he's been. <laughs> you don't know what he's up to.
1: I love that this is on our President's episode. It's so very relevant. In
0: a way, you know, it. in a way it's quite important. Yeah, because I all actually, right, get there. I had been sedgewaying from the Finland not having a king to be president. But, but then, we, then we started we, talking we about Mary, the to crest, yeah. and you know, Ma- speaking of Mary, yeah, oh oh
1: oh, a good one. Mary, all yeah, right, yeah, I let you pre- have that one.
0: Yes, obviously, it's the it's the name that's it's the most popular name among our presidents. There are various first names chosen, so we have a presidential election in twenty eighteen is coming down the road. And there has been some interesting candidates so far. Mm-hmm. We we're not going to discuss the actual candidates themselves beyond wishing them well. Yeah. In what is you know going to be a very interesting election, we're sure. But one thing that has come up in the conversations around this election is what the present actually can do, has done, and I think it's 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 been particularly in the context of mother folklore, so many of the presidents have been absolutely major figures in the Irish language and in the construction of Irish identity Yeah, that I think is really worth... We're going to have a few episodes in which we look at the Irish presidency in the context of the constitution, which we love to talk about, the Irish language, which we love to talk about, and Irish identity, which is so important to these things. And in some ways, the presidency has is, has is forms these things even more than the role of Taoiseach. Yeah. And we're going to start... Garrardine by asking, what does the president actually do?
1: Well, um, if any of our would be presidents are listening, um, this is faux free. You're welcome um, because some of you seem to be mildly confused about the role of the president, but it's fine, guys. I'm here. <laughs> um, so the presidency is covered by two articles, uh, three articles in the Constitution 12, 13, and 14, and they do to I, I believe the technical term is sweet fuck all. Um <laughs> but the, there's not a lot that the president can actually do. Like the role of the president is pretty minimal. There's a lot of um so the the articles themselves are really long because there's an awful lot about like um eligibility, um, election process, um, you know, the where the president will live, uh, impeachment, that sort of thing. There's an awful lot of that. But when you get down down to the nitty gritty, I think it's um Oh my god, it's like twelve point eight or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. But the president has two main roles that they can do that they have. They don't have to ask anybody about. So there's only two really like major things that the president can do without having to ask. Like every time Dick and Harry in the doll, um, can I can please can I do it first? Mm. Um, and those are really boring, <laughs> really important, but pretty boring. Uh, and one is them. One of them is the dissolution of the doll. So. If there's a row over in Leinster House and the lads all can't have a government anymore, they can't agree with each other and they all fall apart. And Leo has to go and ask uh, whoever is in the Auris, um, can he dissolve the Dáil? So can he sort of, yeah, dissolve the Dáil means like cancel the Dáil and have a general election. And the president has their absolute discretion to say no. As far as I'm aware, it's never happened that the president has said no.
0: The Mary said no to uh, to, Did she? to yeah. Basically, when um, the, the the in the mid mid nineties, when you were only a pup, yeah. Well, the, um, <laughs> a, after Albert Reynolds resigned, technically uh, Bertie was, was 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 briefly acting Tishuk, and yeah. he wanted and he wanted to dissolve the Dalhavon election and yeah. the and Mary Mary said that no, Mary uh, Robinson said oh. that there was enough. That the, that the composition of the, the current, of the door at the time yeah. was sufficient to form a new working government. Yeah. That's when the Rainbow Coalition with Fine Gael, okay. Democratic Left, Labour, and some, it was called the Rainbow Coalition. Because there was a load of randos in it. Because there was a load of randos in it. <laughs> Actually, and, yeah, I know what yeah, you're talking and about.
1: Now. It was, um, and what's that? It was that, because was. Priestish at the time.
0: Basically, no. He wasn't. He wasn't actually. Uh, Albert, had, Albert had resigned, resigned. Of over of over lying to lying to the doll in mm. in the answer of a question in relation to oh. in relation to a priest. Um, I, 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 without going into too much details, there. Yeah. But. At the time, so the the idea was that that the Labour would continue to support Fianna Fáil in government after his resignation. Then they then they didn't want to.
1: Yeah, I wonder, does that, that apply under that article because it wasn't technically the Taoiseach then. I'd, I'd actually I, I don't well, know well he would have been acting, to, He's acting Taoiseach. He's actually Taoiseach, but yeah, yeah he, I suppose so. I probably so in, would that apply sense, yeah. in that sense, yeah. that Albert
0: wasn't in a position to do it anymore because he wasn't yeah. he wouldn't have been leading. Yeah, he wouldn't have been leading into a general election. But and I suppose
1: presumably, like Leo wasn't elected Taoiseach he's Taoiseach now when then to step down so maybe it's a similar situation to that yeah I think it's Bertie took over kind of mm-hmm. and then he was like dissolved. Uh, this, but, th- yeah. this
0: raises an important thing that the actual role of president is far more defined in the constitution than the role of Taoiseach
1: yeah um, there's an awful lot on the the presidency um, and governments are subject to you know like the doll is subject to a lot of change you know there's different people in it but there's an element of stability in the, the presidency but they can yeah choose not to dissolve the Dáil, Um like Mary did there that I didn't know about mm. <laughs> Fake fan, <laughs> um, <laughs> Name two of her albums, Garrick <laughs> Chain. <laughs> I'm a fan of her later stuff at the UN, um, but uh, yeah, so you can choose not to, to dissolve the doll and say work it out amongst yourselves, or generally speaking, they're, they're usually like, yeah, go on, dissolve the doll, um, but um. Uh, so that's one of their... And they can do that with their complete discretion. They don't have to um, ask for the government's... Obviously, you know, you can't really ask for the government's permission when the government are asking you for permission. And then there's an Article 26 referral, which is if a... So all bills that are going to come law after they've passed through the House of the Iraqis and are to become law, they pass to the President for the President's signature. And the President may if there is a concern that that bill is going to be unconstitutional or will in some way violate our constitution, they can send it to the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court uh, like reviews it. And then the Supreme Court will either say, yes, it is unconstitutional or no, it's not unconstitutional. And if it's un- if it's not unconstitutional, the president has no choice. They have to sign it. So that's the only kind of two areas where the president can actually, you know, exhibit their own free will. Oh, were, and it should be done like sensibly. You're not just going to say, no, don't dissolve the doll, you know, work it uh-huh. out yourselves. You know, it should be a, a considered <laughs> opinion. The same with Article 26. You shouldn't send something just because you don't agree with it. So, for example, the new legislation coming in on abortion will be something that... um will be controversial if there was a president who disagreed with that, um, with, with abortion and just sent it to the Supreme Court because they agreed with, disagreed with abortion. I, that would be, I believe, a misuse of their power. But I still, I mean, there may be parts of the, the bill that, that end up being possibly unconstitutional and it may be something, a good thing to send it to, to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court acts as like a really like stringent spell check just to make sure that's all okay and then we don't have a situation mm. down the line where it's something is, is gone through into law and it's like, oh no, this part was unconstitutional. And then we have legalized drugs for a day. Remember that time that we had like yokes for legal for a day? <laughs>
0: for some reason I can't remember those two days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was living in Finland at the time and it was all over the news and all of my friends were like, What the fuck is happening in your country? I was like, I don't know, guys
0: <laughs> Well, you know, in fairness it was. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness,
1: what? <laughs> in fairness, it was unconstitutional, that particular element of it. And then, yeah, yolks were legal for that day, um, which was, it had some great headlines.
0: I, I do remember there was some great fun during that yeah. day. But then, so, um, the, the, obviously, the uh, the Supreme Court is in a position to look at things. And sometimes people can make, and we all, we've we all seen people who maybe have make very kind of right on kind of uh, fun sounding kind of pronouncements maybe online or in, in campaigns and then when you actually test it say well if we actually do this it'll cost this much which will mean this in taxes mm-hmm. or if we do this then the, it creates a precedent where something you don't like might happen yeah, and all sorts of things and in a way that that so that the the president would have a responsibility to look at some of those things. And yeah. and while yeah, you might find, as you said there, that there might be parts of a bill you really, really like that we might be very glad of a good a good thorough check mm-hmm. after the fact.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's kind of a, a last editor look mm-hmm. at it. Um and we really have a really good, I think, method of, of passing legislation. It can be slow. Um, but we have all of these checks that go through so that we have uh, robust, well, we should have robust pieces of legislation um, that stand the test of time and that don't have to be replaced, you know, every mm. couple of years. Um, so uh, I do think it's a good mechanism. And so too comes to the end of my discussion on what the president can do, because that's it. Um, okay. Otherwise, anything else the president does is purely ceremonial, um, purely um uh, at the behest of the government. That's not to say, and this is a really important point, to think, that's not to say that it's an easy job. And I think there is a kind of assumption among some people that the presidency might be like a sort of an easy old job or we'll just give it to so-and-so. Um, and I think that probably comes from the fact that the last three presidents we've had have been really good at being the president, so much so that it made, made it look easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not an easy job. I don't think for one second it's an easy job. You know, these these... People are, are fraught with with, you know, what they can say, what they can't say, what they can do, what they shouldn't do, um, and you know, in respect of, of signing laws, all of this sort of thing. You know, they, they take it really seriously, and and as it shouldn't be sort of just a a, a jokey position because it's not. It's a really important position, and I think it does an awful lot. While most people might say, you know, throughout the years, oh, I don't like the Taoiseach or I don't like the government or whatever. I don't think as many people say that about the president because they make us feel good. You know, they've they have mm-hmm. they've always been really good for like instilling pride in Irish, in Irishness and, and being Irish. And I love our presidents. Again, during the summer, I was at a wedding in Finland and something came up. People were talking about me being Irish, and there were some jokes made about potatoes, which I didn't appreciate. Oh. Um, But then one of them was like, hey, have you seen the Irish president? And proceeded to whip out their phone and show pictures of the Irish president and his dogs. And I was like really proud that that was something that people knew about Ireland, that people knew about our presidents, that they, they were, were represent. Obviously, this is our current president, but I think it's true of our uh, many of our past presidents as well, mm. um, particularly uh, to Mary's. Uh, it's true, Irish. and
0: especially, and I think... We've been lucky not just in having some great presidents but also some great act, former presidents because yeah. you are a former president for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think Macaulay M- and Mary Robinson have, have especially, oh, yes, um, I'm, particularly uh, um discussion of her, her son coming out yeah, during the yeah. uh, um, marriage equality referendum was incredibly powerful yeah. and deeply connected with people who may not have been natural yes voters.
1: Yeah, she was fantastic. I mean, so relatable and I mean when she was a president, she was a great unifying force. It was around the time of, of, of the Good Friday Agreement and her being from Northern Ireland was like hugely impactful. Um, and I won't uh, for a second let you ga- get away with not saying that Mary Robinson is the greatest woman to ever have come out of this country. I <laughs> love her. I want to be her. I wake up every day saying what would Mary Robinson do?
0: It's funny how divisive she was at the time. nice. Right? But, I, but re- I really remember because at the time, it's so, it's it's stunning to think in a way that it was, it was such a... Um, so many things just went wrong with the other two campaigns, and Mary Robinson was so far to the was so far to the left of yeah. a normal Irish thinking on so many issues. Like she, she was against the, the Anglo Irish Agreement because it wasn't fair to unionists. Yeah, she obviously she represented she sued the uh, the Irish state, and I think she brought the Irish state to the European Court of Justice in relation for, to Dame, David Ar's case. And she also was for
1: uh, legalizing uh, freely laid in civil cases. She was amazing. And it was on the uh, anti-amendment campaign in 1983.
0: That's right. And she was doing these things. And effectively, the Fine who've never won, and it's one of the very weird, un- unusual facts of the presidency, is Finnegal have never won a presidential election. What haven't they? They've never won one. They've, there's um, never been a Gael yeah. president, even though Gael have been a, a, traditionally a very popular party.
1: Yeah, there've been two Labour, at least Mary and Labour. Michael D. There's yeah.
0: been two Labour, and the then rest are either Fianna Fáil or Independent. or and then effectively Gael were going to run Garfield's Gerald, and then he didn't want to in the yeah. end, and yeah. then they they found a last minute candidate who wasn't really, who actually wasn't registered to vote, oh. Austin Curry, and then come
1: on, guys. <laughs>
0: And then yeah, so that was a um, it was an, it was an unusual because he was he was in he was a northern civil rights activist mm. and he um, yes, but he was he wasn't actually resident in yeah. long enough, and so mm. it was that was poorly plotted, and then Brian Lennon yeah. got in trouble over his own interactions with um, yeah. the previous president. He had contradicted himself; he had lied either one or the other mm. times, yeah. and and Brian Lennon, who actually had would have been on maybe the um, in, in a lot of ways on the left-hand side of the Fianna Fáil party was responsible for unbanning lots of books when he was Justice Minister oh. and, and involved in were getting Palestine recognised in the UN And when he was a minister and, yeah. and he was actually he had a very impressive track record yeah. that Hahi series made him look like a bumbling eejit yeah. which is a real which is probably very unfortunate
1: but fortunate for us because we got near rather yes. out of it
0: Brian Lennon yeah. did get the most first preference votes but yeah. not enough to get him over the line yeah. and Austin Curry's transfers carried Mary yeah, over yeah.
1: it was complete like fluke that she got it, but like, oh my god, what a fluke mm. because she was infinitely qualified to be infinitely. president. Like amazingly. If I mean if you want to have a look at at the kind of why she became president and how she became president, she has an amazing autobiography. But if that's too long for you, there's an episode of remember that show Moon Boy? Yes. About the the Mary Robinson election. I all get the Mary haircut. It's really mm-hmm. funny but it's just such an interesting look at like politics in Ireland at the time. Um, but her autobiography is amazing. It's so good. Um,
0: and she pointed out this time that there hadn't been, since Constance Markievicz, the first MP in the in Britain mm-hmm. was elected in Dublin. Yeah. But once the state actually formed, there hadn't been a female minister at this point. A government minister. And Morgay Gagan Quinn was the yeah, next, yeah, um, was yeah. a couple of years later, was the next um, Irish government minister. So this was absolutely, this would have, yes, it would have been, yeah. I mean, to, it, it's hard to come up with an analogy other than it would have been like yes, it'd be like if Saudi Arabia had, uh, had suddenly <laughs> not president. just not just got a female president but a really really woke a one really, and, yeah
1: woke as shit like mm-hmm. because she was and still is I mean she does great work on
0: it'd be like if Iran made um, Tara <laughs> Flynn the Ayatollah
1: I mean listen if Iran are looking no better woman mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was like she's just a, kind of an example of a kind of a new era of president I mean Mary Robinson was a, a a heart-hitting constitutional lawyer like she knew the constitution in and out mm. and knew her role and you know took it really seriously and you know agonised over over her decision and again it's, it's in her autobiography about So it was a lot of shit said about her after she stepped down early because she was offered the role of um, UK, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights um, and she had to step down in order to take it like something like six weeks before um, she would have been stepping down and there was all this stuff said about her in the press that oh she was just using the presidency to like platform herself number one um, so what actually what what does it matter Um, Mm. she could do a lot more as the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights than she could as the Irish President and number two like that wasn't true
0: (laughs) it's a a funny one because at the time I suppose nobody had ever seen the presidency as the bridge to something else yeah and it was was kind of a
1: sort of a I don't want to say a a graveyard but it was like where you went to the end of your esteemed political career like you went to the presidency and that was mm. it then whereas you know she was pretty young um, you know becoming president And she she then became, you know, High Commissioner for Human Rights, but she took her role so seriously that she refused to contradict the press because she didn't want to kind of step outside of her box of her presidential box and say, that's not the case. You know, it was if I didn't take the job now, I wouldn't have got it. And it was only six weeks um, and she refused because she took her her role so seriously because she so understood the parameters of the Constitution and so believed in them that she she couldn't uh, and didn't. And the same with our our presidents before we've had evidence of that we've had.
0: And this is one of the things uh, that the actual the dignity of the office and the importance. Mm. So when we look at the actual functions of what a president can do, because this has been this has been misunderstood by some of the candidates.
1: Really? Has it been?
0: Allegedly, yeah. (laughs) And then also the actual the dignity of the office, which maybe is contrary to some of the um, (laughs) some of the campaigning so far. Yeah, Maybe perhaps it, the best example would you say would be probably Carul O'Donnell. I in the 70s. would
1: fully say that. I think I mean it is it's that you're so right. It's a dignified office and it 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 has something more than just the constitutional powers. It holds a, a symbolic kind of identity for Irish people. And I think it's really important to protect that and preserve that and to uphold that. Um and Kirill O'Donnell was um president in the 70s Carol Dolik had been involved in politics like since the Foundation of the State he was a, a Supreme Court judge and then went on to become president and uh, there was a like I mentioned earlier there's an article 26 provisions where if a bill is presented in front of you mm. and you think that is unconstitutional you can send it to the Supreme Court and as I said before Carol O'Dolig Supreme Court justice a very good one at that um he a bill came before him. It was on the uh, emergency powers. Is it? Yeah. Well, the,
0: he um, he was he actually sent a, a fair few. He yeah. he was regarded as quite a, what they referred to as a fairly activist. Yeah, um, well, again, activist. you know, but, he's but this well, Supreme Court jumped, like. <laughs> but this particular one was referred to emergency powers. Yeah,
1: so it was emergency powers, and he referred it to the Supreme Court for to see was it constitutional or unconstitutional and I cannot for the life of me but you probably will remember the name of the fella who said it but I think it was down in Templemore was it?
0: It was actually a barracks so it's okay, yeah. one of the soldiers was, Um a justice minister Donegan yeah. I think that man's name was and a uh, justice minister who referred to him and as the words have, have gone on down history, a thundering disgrace yeah
1: um and Karol Doleg so respected the office of the president that he said, "I don't have the government support, and therefore I am stepping down from pres- presidency." So he stepped down and uh, was president for not a long time, two years.
0: He, he, maybe I think his his it's tenure was very short, and he yeah, also he died tenure. shortly afterwards. Yeah, as he well. did.
1: Um, and he stepped down on account of what was said because he. As kind of is enshrined in the constitution the, the the President should be supported by the government and if the government are calling the president a thunder in disgrace, even if it's not on dull record um it still got out and it was still something that he knew, knew they were saying about him so he said i i can't mm-hmm. execute my role effectively as president so i'm stepping down
0: and especially because it was a just it was a it was a justice minister mm. and then obviously when the the actual role of the president in relation to justice particularly in relation yeah. to the armed forces he was addressing soldiers yeah. so it was a uh it was a, a, a particular quandary exactly. and while that minister did tender his resignation it wasn't accepted by the Taoiseach at the time. Yeah.
1: And so unfortunately um, we lost Carol O'Donnell but for a very noble reason and he's often forgotten I think as a president but he's such a, uh, I, I'm a big Carol big fan and he was a great proponent of the Irish language as so well I think it's important to, to say that. This is long. the thing, in our
0: next presidency episodes we are going to look, look specifically at the presidency with regard to the Irish language because three of them have been particularly major figures, one of whom was responsible for founding T.G. Kahar. Yes
1: who's that Dara? <laughs>
0: <laughs> one of them was uh, was was, was intimately involved in introducing the letter V and friends into the Irish alphabet. yes. <laughs> and one of them was involved in the Gaelic League.
1: Yes and yeah and uh, they've all have been uh, you know greatly uh, so it, it's something that is usually associated with them. Um, the presidency, um, but it's not a necessary function. I think this mm. is so weird that during it's it's usually during presidential elections, but it comes up during general elections as well, that people are like, oh, do you speak Irish? And like, it's not mandatory um, mm. for public officials to speak Irish. Um, and I think there's an element of kind of elitism almost. And I, I, maybe I'm going against my own interests here, mm-hmm. but I do think it's important to make it accessible to anybody who is an Irish citizen and over the age of 35 can be president. Regardless of whether or not you speak Irish, and for a whole host of reasons, there's people who don't speak Irish, um, and that's fine. Um, what I don't appreciate is fakers who are like, "Oh, I'm going to learn Irish," and then for some reason, this is hypothet- entirely hypothetical. Don't get elected, and then seven years later, come back, and I'm like, "Where's your Irish, mate?" But anyway, um, it's.
0: I think the it's it's like a lot of things, and I think, and it's been said sometimes by government ministers who don't speak Irish, yeah. and sometimes they just learn. And I think. I think there can be a benefit for someone coming from the outside and shaking things up. The way yeah. it's, there's a benefit to have, sometimes having a non-lawyer in justice or having a non-teacher in yeah. education, if they their outside if their outside expertise is, is coming to yeah. break thing, shake things up. The big issue, I suppose, is that there's so many factors in picking a minister other than whether they're right for the job. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and I don't think that's any individual minister's fault. No, that the that, that, yeah, the world it's... is like that. But I do think uh, yes, I think if somebody is having a is. Uh, if somebody is almost ready for the presidency, and but maybe but isn't there yet for some for some reason, and then they decide to go for it again, yeah. all those years later, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that a person has been thinking about it during those years, yeah, and maybe particularly
1: when they said they would learn Irish, I mean, I don't know if this hypothetical person maybe has learned Irish, but I'm expecting it, um, but. It is something that that people generally associate with. I think it's probably because of the close association with Irishness in the presidency. Mm. And we have had some, you know, it's been used a lot. Um. Uh, again I'm back talking about Mary Robinson she has this amazing inauguration speak if you ever wanted to become a feminist you just listen to Mary Robinson's inauguration speak because she's like the and then she goes instead of rocking the cradle we rock the system and then the the hairs on my arm stand up um, but you know she uses she makes use of Irish to, to drill home her point there and um, and it's really, it's really powerful and it has been used as a really kind of symbolic part of, of presidency. But again, it's not necessary. N- nevertheless, we have had some presidents who've done great work for Irish, who've been so involved in promoting Irish. And I really appreciate that. But I don't think it's necessary. And I don't think the same amount of um, BAME, what's the English word for BAME? Emphasis <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis should be put on um on the necessity of it. What well, I appreciate, you know, TG Carr probably during this um, mm. election will ask for for a debate. Not all of the candidates will be able to debate and I don't, I, I kind of don't like that, that. That I don't think it's fair. I mean, I know TG Carr, obviously, you know, they do cracker mm. content and stuff, but if all of the, the candidates can't speak Irish, maybe they shouldn't be forced and there should be like subtitles or something because I don't think it's fair to, to, mandate people when it's not mandated in law at all um, but it is you know it's a, it's an added benefit people like it I like it when my president can speak Irish but I don't think it should be a, an exclusionary factor
0: I, I do think I think it was the, the 2011 um, it was, was it 20, 20 I, make, so I think it was the 20 there was a general election in 2010
1: yeah it was late in that, I think,
0: actually. because no, the- I, I remember there was it was uh, Enda Kenny, Miel Martin, and Aimon Gilmore were yeah. all um, were on, on a debate, and it was on tg Gower yeah. and i remember yeah. thinking it was it, it was actually it was it was a wonderful opportunity for tg Gower to actually get this showcase that they yeah. actually did have the candidates, and then. When the next kind of election came along, I think Jerry and Joan Burton weren't comfortable. Yeah. And while then people did poke fun at them at the time, and I I, I thought that has nobody mentioned that these are the two party leaders who don't have a teaching background. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and while I mean I think we only, we know Jerry has some Irish, and mm-hmm. you know, it, and it didn't he didn't have the he wasn't as made as freely available to him when he was going through the education exactly. system yeah. as was. And there's one thing speaking Irish. As one thing, debating Irish against someone who was a teacher, a primary exactly. school teacher, and
1: somebody who's way ahead of you, like I mean, debates are important. And I mean, okay, perhaps the reach of the Irish language debates won't be as important, but if something like really important is said in a debate where one person is like totally okay with the Irish language and another person is struggling now, that's, that's not fair at all so I don't think that somebody should be at a linguistic disadvantage I would be the biggest hypocrite on this planet if I thought that it was okay for somebody who doesn't speak Irish well enough to say what they mean to say was put in a situation where they had to like talk about what they want to do and, mm-hmm. and try and get themselves elected through a language that they're not comfortable in I don't think that's fair yeah
0: So I like- dogs
1: in the presidential office is it necessary oh, yeah <laughs> Is that required by constitution?
0: <laughs> you know, actually, does um, that's an interesting one because we've often slagged kind of the um, we've often slagged the British royal family about their oh, cor- sorry, the, how the,
1: dare uh, you? I resent that remark that I've ever slagged the British the, royals
0: about their obsession with corgis. Yeah, and you know, and I suppose possibly because these corgis are the descendants of corgis on their yeah. previous royals, yeah. and there is something a bit creepy about that. Yeah. But there's something... More- that's
1: how dogs work, like, but okay. <laughs> but I think
0: the idea that there's a royal line of corgis yeah, is, true, yeah. has been rather dreadful. <laughs> 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 Imagine, because I mean, like, if you're a dog, the idea is that the corgi is more important than the sniffer dog or the, you know, the, the, the other working dogs of the British, uh, of, yeah, of Her Majesty's okay, government. Sure,
1: yeah. Are you trying to say that there's dogs that are more important than Broad because there's not? <laughs>
0: Well, there's there's a strong Fred campaign. There is, and and I think
1: Fred is. uh, He's been. I I think there's a strong case there to say he's been discriminated hugely against by the the Irish state. So I think it's a
0: credit to the current administration that they didn't make a they didn't seek any media attention for when Shadow passed away. Because they, or
1: was it a cover-up? Was it a conspiracy, Derek? Is that it? Is it? We're just led to believe that Shadow continued onward and nobody knew about his passing.
0: A conspiracy. <laughs> Lies. Okay. but It the, goes um, all the way to the top. Okay, God, there's, there's a fair amount of cutting there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. so just what we're going to do now is, obviously, this today has been our introduction to, we are going to have three episodes specifically about the presidency before the presidential election. We're going to talk about the Irish language in respect of... Deamon De Valera, Michael D Higgins, and Douglas Hyde. We're going yeah. to talk specifically about the Irish language and Protestantism in Ireland, with a specific reference to Douglas Hyde. We are going to talk more about the um, Irish language and the European Union, with respect to mm-hmm. Paddy Hillary yeah. and his and his and his, his bring his own European experience to the presidency, and how that mattered in a way that we don't we don't always see. We're going to talk about feminism in the presidency.
1: Yes, we are. God, yes. But I mean, every specifically episode... Specifically regarding Childers.
0: <laughs> Childers and... Um, yes, and... Oh, okay. Sorry, no, I don't know.
1: If you could see, that, I just have the most confused look. Because feminism in the presidency, I'm like, mm, yes. And Derek's like, yeah, Childers. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Sorry, that's where we're going with feminism in yes, the presidency. With
0: specifically regarding Mary Robinson, Mary McAleese, and possibly Eamon De Valera. Uh,
1: Look, I, I'm going to put my cards on the table. I'm a Dev fan. OK, there, I said it. Mm-hmm. I know he brought the V into the Irish language. I, you all know my feelings about the V. But I love Dev. I don't love Dev. I think Dev is hard done by. OK, guys, feel free to write in and tell me how I'm wrong in explicit detail. But like, you know, give Dev a break. God.
0: We hope that these episodes will give a, a broader understanding of what yeah. the presidency is and, what it, and also what it means to people and... Also, what kind of people have held this role before, yeah. what what they could have done instead and why they chose to do this role. And oh, we hope that will be of great value to you. So we can't wait to share these with you. Yeah, that was just a taster of months. my feelings about Dev. So it's a taster.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: So, and until then.
1: It's a slant for me.
0: It's a slant for me. What? And it's a slant for me. <laughs> Who's that?
1: Who is that? It's the ghost of Harry Hillary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See you next time.
1: Hi guys, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, Mother Club comes out every Friday, and you can download it um, on the HeadStuff website or wherever you get your podcast. Just want to let you know that we have a live show coming up. Um, It's going to be in conjunction with the Irish History Podcast. Uh, It's part of the Dublin Podcast Festival. And you can get your tickets on Ticketmaster. It's on the 10th of October. Yeah, so we hope to see you there. Please do come along. I'd also like to say a big thanks to Brian for producing the show and putting manners on us. He's not here today, so he couldn't put manners on us. And uh, Kirsten for doing the amazing artwork. Thank you so much. See you next
0: time. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Fuck giggle. giggle. <laughs> a giggler
1: fuck a giggler fuck a giggler